RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. So this is a pop-up political panel here at RCR, and we're doing this in the run-up, the next few weeks, obviously, in the run-up to the 14th of October. I want to welcome Muriel Newman by phone. Hi, Muriel. How are you? Very good. Thanks, Paul. Morris Williamson from Auckland. Hi, Morris. Thanks for coming back on. My pleasure. And Cam Slater needs no more introduction than that. Good morning, Paul. Okay, so I want to start with the obvious, and that is what has happened to this debate. Who wants to kick off with with that? Cam, maybe you do. I was watching TV3 and uh, accusing Luxon of being a chicken. But let's get some facts straight here. Chris Hipkins is the chicken. He's decided things are going so bad that he's going to sit in his basement, pretend he's got COVID, and then accuse everybody else of chickening out of the debates. But TV3 have shown in their News Hub program that they're actually the media party and they're campaigning on behalf of the Labour Party because they're just running all of the Labour Party's lines. And their journalist was just appalling. I think her name was Amelia Wade. So it's a massive beat up. But the, the reality is, is that Chris Hipkins, uh, you know, be, despite being double jabbed and boosted up the wazoo, has managed to catch COVID. Uh, you know, who would have thought that would have happened? Couldn't he, Morris? Couldn't he come in by Zoom? Well, you would have thought so. Uh, but let me again put a, a plea on behalf of the Christopher Luxon side. In the run-up to the election, I can, I've been there and been part of the team. Every bloody night is committed. You're going to be in Wellington that night. You've got the dinner, then you're doing the speech, then you're back to the hotel for that. You've got to be an early morning flight. You're doing that. This idea that, oh, well, I've had to bail out because I've got COVID, and you, Mr Luxon, must have plenty of free days in your diary between now and the 14th of October. And, and if you don't, then you're a chicken. Well, there's something wrong with Christopher Hipkins' diary if he had any spare days running up till the 14th of October. I accept that on the night of the 13th, they rest. You know, yeah. like when God created the universe, he rested on the seventh day. You rest on that night of the of the Friday. You get all the signs down, a few drinks in the electorate office, and everyone breathes a sigh. But there's no point having a, the debate on the Friday night anyway. But every other night, if, if Luxon's diary's not full, and by the way, if Hipkins' diary was not full for those nights, then something's really wrong. Muriel, he must be quite ill if he can't front up on the Zoom, you'd think. Yeah, and it was very interesting listening to the uh, news where, you know, various members of the Labour Party are saying, well, hang on a minute, we can put a substitute in there. And I think um, Chris Bishop made a very good point that those debates are head-to-head. It's about who do we want to be our Prime Minister. So first of all, you know, no ring-in would work. And then secondly, what the other panel members have said, you know, the diaries are full. There is a chance, of course, that they will find a spot when Chris Hipkins comes, you know, surfaces again. But I think it's been a huge media beat-up, and it's just half of the course. So I was looking back at 2017, which was the last election when, you know, we had a, a more than a one-term government and COVID wasn't around. And in the run-up to that election, the media was focused all night, every night, on things like homelessness, poverty, 
all the things that they could throw at National to say you have failed as a government, this time around, one item hardly that actually looks at the record of the Labour government over the last six years, it's all been about uh, national. And I think it's just a disgrace. The media coverage has been awful. Good point. Let's talk about that, panellists. How would you describe now in the last few weeks of this, and we saw over the weekend, Q&A, Winston, etc., how the media is handling this? It seems like kind of wheels are starting to fall off. Cam, you'd have a view on that. Yeah, look, th- this campaign, and I'm sure Morris will agree with me on this, this campaign has to be a feather in the cap of Winston Peters. Uh, now, you know, for the last two weeks, no one has talked about anything other than Winston Peters. Will he, won't he, will they form a coalition, won't they form a coalition? Every time he's appeared on television, there's a picture of him riding the horse. Um, you know, he has got a whole lot of free publicity and been on the lips of every politician from Christopher Hipkins to Christopher Luxon and everyone in between, including David Seymour. And if you are a minor party, you get that much coverage on primetime news simply because everyone's talking about you. Um, you, you have to you have to say he's done a, done a great job in the campaign. And when you look at the numbers that are coming out in the polls, and you see Christopher Luxon sitting there with the National Party versus the worst government in living memory, according to Michael Bassett on my show, you have to wonder why they're sitting at 35, 36, 37 and not in John Key level of of polling in the 40s. And so you can't say that the National Party's had a great campaign because they haven't. If we go back and just do a little bit about that media, I've been watching very carefully uh, the News Hub Nation on a Saturday, the uh, uh, the Q&A on a Sunday. It is quite amazing how they drill in when they really want to to people like Winston who was just torn apart. Why don't you know these numbers? Why haven't you got this one? And then on comes James Shaw, and it's a, so how's that work? Oh, that's good. How was that? And I've noticed on a number of occasions now, when you've got a government who's just finishing two full terms, the question should be about how come you never delivered that during your two terms in government? But they don't touch that. It's this once over lightly, so what will you be doing then? Well, who cares what they're saying they're going to do if they've failed to actually deliver anything in six years? How how do you explain that? It's so obvious. I know what you're saying. Well, I so do obvious. know. I do know, and it was well known in Parliament all the years I was there that the media hate a one-sided election. That they, they hate it. They are always desperate for it to be close because eyeballs then come onto the screens. People are watching at six o'clock. People are excited, and it generates news columns and just and so on. What people just turn off is if it's a lay-down mazir, it's going the other way. So. I think the news media bend over backwards to try and help whoever looks to be the underdog to try to get some balance. And, of course, some of it is some of the news media are just left-wingers anyway. Okay, Muriel, um, you got a view on that? Uh, we were even talking on Friday, Cam, you remember, in the political panel. I think we even uh, broached the uh, the uh, idea that this this debate that we've just been talking about wasn't even necessary. What are you going to get out of that? Cam... You know, if you take a step back, Labor's whole strategy for this election 
has simply been to try to discredit an alternative government. You know, and the media have been helping them. You know, I hear what the other guys on the panel have said, but, you know, when you drill down into it all, it seems to be all about trying to discredit an alternative government. Now, the funny thing is that the country actually is crying out to be saved. <laughs> I think, to be quite honest, people have had enough of the guys that are in there at the moment, and they want an alternative. And the media, I think, have done a disservice to the public of New Zealand by not properly presenting the alternative. This is what Labour stood for and what they have achieved or not achieved. And then underline goes under the not achieved. And this is what the other guys think. And it hasn't been like that at all. I, I just think it's just been appalling, to be honest. If you take the private sector and someone's applying for a chief executive's position with you and you're on the board deciding, the first question you want satisfied is, so what have you done over the last few years? What have you achieved? What were your outcomes? What were your results? How do we mark that relative to other chief executives? But nobody seems to think, well, because they've been there six years, we should ask them anything about how did they go with delivering light rail down Dominion Road where there isn't yet one metre bill? How did they what, go? One millimetre. What? One millimetre. Yeah. <laughs> and and that's the, it's just a joke. Anybody that, any chief executive that came for a job and couldn't say over the last six years, oh, I don't want you to ask me about the last six years because I really haven't delivered anything. You'd be just say, okay, there's the door out. And I just don't get it why that isn't about, so what have you achieved? What are the changes you've made? What is the benefit to New Zealand? Now let's compare that with what National is advocating. But they're getting a, a free pass for somehow they just weren't there for six years. It's, wor it's, it's worse than that because you're right, there's no achievements. I mean, you couldn't sit Christopher Hitkins in a room full of Lego and for him to build a Kiwi build house. They just can't do it. There's not one thing that they've delivered other than eye-wateringly, astonishingly huge debt mountain that is growing at a billion dollars a week. Spending. Just spending. Just spending. Frivolous, pointless spending. They spent hundreds of millions of dollars investigating creating business plans for a cycle bridge over the harbour that Michael Wood told us was going to be the best thing since sliced bread until it wasn't. They've but spent hundreds of millions of dollars on light rail that Jacinda Ardern promised would be at the airport two years ago, and they haven't laid a single millimetre of track. They have the apps. They've got more front than a dairy to turn but, up and say that they're winning and they've delivered all of these things. The Treasury will tell you about don't measure inputs, okay? So if you say, oh, I've spent $1.9 on mental health, right? That's not even close to being a measure. What have you delivered in terms of mental health beds, in terms of interventions by mental health practitioners with people, and you've got to – but they will never do that. And they go, we've spent more money in education than any government over the last 12 years. That's actually an embarrassing number to use if you haven't delivered outputs and outcomes. If you've increased government spending by 80%, where's the 80% increased benefits to the country that's come from that spending? 
Try for eight percent, you'd be lucky. Well, even one percent. <laughs> It is. It is. We're doing it tougher than we we used to. We're doing it tougher. Yeah, it's just incredible. And the and the media party want to involve themselves in the political process without having the guts to actually stand for office. Paul, another thing where there's a sort of 180 degree turnaround that's quite interesting. When uh, Michael Wood was Minister of Transport, it was all about cycleways, walkways, road to zero, huge safety interventions. We're going to, and and roads were evil and we don't want to build more roads. And suddenly he loses his job because he couldn't, you know, he's the most reluctant share broker I've ever known. He just couldn't part with the share. And suddenly David Parker gets the job. And Parker puts out a pretty damn good government policy statement. Yeah, so what's going on there? Well, it's just to do with they realise it's a little bit like Chris Hipkins' bonfire. No one goes back to that. So we were being told that we got to do this and Willie Jackson was driving this and we were getting all this and, and Jacinda Ardern was saying it's the right way and we're a great government. And then all of a sudden she quits because she's got nothing left in the tank. Chippy takes over and says, right, well, I'm going to have a bonfire because all this stuff was garbage. So that's not my judgment. That's Chippy's judgment that's about their performance. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I'm just going back to um, Muriel's point on the, the, you know, the alternative that is being that is desired, the change that's being desired. Um, and you know, we've seen you know the leaders debate only two leaders. There are a whole bunch of other parties. H- has the media, the mainstream media, been fair to them in their coverage? Because that all adds up to a reasonable number of Kiwis, actually. Yeah. And we got anything to say about that? Yeah, I think it's the spin they put on it, though. You know, I did a um, an article the other day, and I was looking at the um, media survey that was done. Massey University put it out last year, and it was um, how journalists rate themselves. It was, you know, from their own um, from their own mouth, so to speak. And I was quite shocked, actually, because nine out of ten Kiwi journalists claim to be left-wing. <laughs> One in three claim to be quite radically left-wing. And you think to yourself, well, you know, why aren't the editors, why aren't they ensuring there is better balance in the media, that, you know, the news that we're all seeing? And because because I, some of those I editors are left-wing as well. That that, that is a major problem for New Zealand because if there was a better balance, then I think that Kiwis going into this election would be much better informed about what the problems are that we face. I mean, you know, we've just been talking about the massive levels of debt and the massive levels of spending. One of the things that, that I find quite bizarre is that there's been all this fuss about how we can't possibly afford tax cuts And yet, for goodness sake, if we just cut back on some of the stupid, wasteful spending, there would be ample money to be able to allow Kiwis to keep more of what they earn. Of course. Absolutely right. But, you know, I remember back in the the Muldoon days, every time he presented some accounts or numbers, he was torn apart for having high levels of debt. Well, the high levels of debt that, that Muldoon had are rounding figures on this bunch of clowns. And by the way, there is good debt and bad. If you've racked up some debt to build high-quality infrastructure that benefits the nation's economic growth for the next 50 or 60 years, I'm okay with that. 
if you've just racked up debt for for just consumption and just paying the bills each week, you're just literally going down the rabbit hole and disappearing. And I, again, if you go back to those big infrastructure things, there was a whole series of roads that National had proposed and in many cases actually funded. Labor comes in in 2017 and cancelled them all. But here's the hilarious joke. David Parker gets appointed the new minister once Michael Wood had to go because of the share sale, and he reinstates all of those evil, dreadful roads they weren't going to do because now they're not evil and dreadful and it's it's, yeah, it's, it's just re- just ah. remember Morris that road to zero was not about climate change it was about Michael Wood's career path yeah it was <laughs> road to zero. um do, do we believe the polls at this point yeah uh at this point what I have found and I've done quite a bit of mathematical analysis you get this bit of a death spiral or a bit of a reborn again kick. I think Winston Peters and and New Zealand First are going to get a bit of a reborn kick. And instead of being a six, like they were in the Varian poll, I think they could easily be an eight, which will give them, what, 12 members? Ten ten seats. Ten seats. Could could even be 11 or 12. Uh, But the death spiral, I think, will happen with Labor because as people get closer to the date and decide these guys can't make it, and it, there's heap, heaps of history. National had it happen in 2002. National had it in 2020. They bail out of you and they try to find a configuration that will work. And my death spiral calculations using some quite sophisticated mathematics, I'm putting Labor falling to under 25. At about, I'm, I'm putting them at 24.5, 24.6, which means they're gone and their list right Zero. now. They're only- Done. Right now, they're only getting about five off their list. If they drop down to those, you can. So we've got Grant Robertson at number one on their list. This is the real list. You've got Jan Tanetti at number two, and those two will be very lucky to stay there. And Willie David, Jack, David Mr. Parker's Speaker, gone. David Parker, uh, all gone. And uh, well, hmm. what I think, Paul, that most New Zealanders don't—they don't worry about. No, that's good on them, but not. But there isn't 60 list seats and there isn't 60 constituency. There's only 48 list. And right now, based on the polling, Act's going to pick up a huge chunk of those. The Greens are going to pick up probably just about as many. You've got Winston picking up, I think, 8 to 10, maybe more. What you ended up with is numbers into the 40s before you look at Labour and National. You're going to see National doing exceedingly well in the constituencies and doing almost nothing in the party list, and the same with Labour. And Labour then faces the very real possibility of having an overhang where they've got more electorate seats than they're entitled to by their party vote. Correct, and that that could happen. But what you will see is an end. I mean, I've got, if you just bear with me, I'll just bring it on my screen here. Um, I'll bring Labour's list. With the Varian poll, they did get down as far as Mr. Speaker. But my view is that that's going to take a bit of a calypso collapso as we get closer. And Grant Robertson and Jan Tanetti will be the only two. Aisha Verrill will go. Willie Jackson, bless his Good. little cotton socks, will go. Willow Jean Prime is next. And Mr. Speaker. And then you've got Andrew Little and David Parker, who were even gone on the Varian poll numbers the other night. They're gone even on those. 
there's a concerning uh, thing there with your uh, prognostications that you've got there, Morrison, that is that Labour's vote collapses to such an extent that it will take the record off Bill English. And I think that's a record he should own for a very long time, that 20.94%. Yes. Um, I think I commented on that back at the time. It's probably best I let it pass now. <laughs> but 20.9. Um, Paul, think about that. A major party, a yeah. major player. That that vote that National got in 20, 20, in 20 or 2002, that vote that National got was less than what Social Credit got in 1981. Yeah, who, who would have thought? Social credit. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> uh, I see the um, uh, NZ Loyal have stolen their um, bank transaction uh, idea. <laughs> um, so ju- just a, another quick thing. Too, and their two million about- voters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Haven't seen, quite seen them all in one place yet. Um, so uh, we've talked also um, uh, earlier last week, uh, Cam, you'll remember this. If ACT fall below what Luxon needs and it's a choice between Winston and someone else, could he prefer the Greens? Well, he's wet enough to, you know. I mean, he 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 may as well wear waders. That's how how deeply wet that he is, and he walks around in a puddle of his own making. No, I, I don't think a whole part Polit- of the national the national caucus uh, national party that's true. would not would not have a bar because look, but he'd ever think about it though, wouldn't no, he? No, no, no. Look, think about this. The Greens once were green with Jeanette Fitzsimons and Rod Donald. They were worried about the planet. They were worried about conservation and they were worried about the environment. The Greens of today are, well, I call them watermelons that is green on the outside, but scarlet red on the end. But I don't even think they are. I think they're just scarlet red. Most of what you will hear Marama Davidson clapping on about or beating the drum or the others as well, Mendes, March and so on. They have nothing to do with saving the planet. In fact, Key was asked a supplementary by one of our team once in the House after uh, after James Shaw had asked question after question after question. The, the supplementary was, does the Prime Minister look forward to one day ever getting a question from the Greens on the environment? Because they don't. They're, they're on about poverty and they're on about high taxes for the well. So Luxon's got no choice. I would have been okay with them heading to what was a real Green Party, and saying to a real Green Party, I'll give you the environment and I'll give you conservation as ministers and you'll stay right out of everything else, uh, I would have been okay with that. But the, this is not a Green Party by 10 million miles. But what right. concerns me, Morris, is that Christopher Luxon goes to these debates and we've seen it all year in Parliament. The Labour Party comes up with an, a statement or an idea and he says, oh, that's a good idea. We'll, we'll be supportive of that. Has he forgotten that he's the leader of the opposition? You know, he he, he agrees more than he opposes. All they're well, arguing about is how they would do it. What's become sad about modern-day politics is, is the minders get around the, the, the team and say, you mustn't say anything that could cause controversy or upset or, or, or have any focus. So you've got to stay bland. You've got to stay safe. You've got to give an answer that at the end people don't know, was that a yes or a no? So it's a word salad. Look, oh, at the end of the day, when you take a helicopter view, uh, we're looking at the, the window of opportunity. And then the end of the sentence comes, you go, was that a yes or a no? But that is deliberately done because I can tell you, we were told lots of the times, when you go on News Hub Nation, or you go on Q&A on a weekend, 
The only reason they've got you on there is they're looking for you to make a slip up and that'll lead to six o'clock news. Yeah. It's not to do with what you think on anything. They're waiting for that slip up. And so I understand, you know, get this close to an election. Everyone's nervous as hell about making a mistake. So we end up with a sort of bland blancmange rather than going out on the limb and saying, crap, we get in, that's gone by Tuesday. But All right. Okay, we're just coming up against time, so uh, let's wrap this uh, pop-up political panel and um, – Let's uh, let's start uh, around the table here, Muriel. Any um, anything you want to say before we wind things up? Oh, just um, Paul, that um, the Green Party is so extreme; it would be absolutely dreadful if National even thought about going with them. And I know from what Morris has said, they won't. Thank no. goodness for that, no. because those guys are very dangerous, and they need to be kept right out of government. Well, thanks for coming on, Muriel. Uh, Morris, last words? Well, uh, I'll give you one from the Green Party. Mira, uh, Marama Davidson says that all the violence in the world is committed by white cis males. And then night after night, I see the news where someone's been murdered by and someone's been beaten up by and someone's been bashed by. And even just going on their surname, but forget that just on what they look like at the arresting time, I don't think it's all white cis males, but she got away with it. No one challenged her on that. Now, if that's not racist, I would wonder what is. But the moment you said the opposite, if I said all the violence in the world is committed by uh, brown cis males, you'd literally have to leave town because it would be considered as the most arch racist thing going. But she was okay to say it and got away with it and the media left her. It's, It's bloody annoying. You've just reminded me before um, we go that uh, I didn't mention the gang intimidation story. Oh, right. From yesterday. Is there anything? Seems you've just mentioned that, Morris. Anything to say about that? Oh, I love the fact that the, the mongrel mob are heavily campaigning for Labour. And the reason for that is they've, they're, someone said to me the other day, they're campaigning stronger than Hipkins. And I said, well, that's because they've got more to lose. <laughs> if there's a change of government. I mean, that's the problem, isn't it? We've got a government that is essentially made up of the looter class that want to abuse the people who make the wealth in this country and employ people and create things and do amazing things like Kiwis have done for decades on decades. And these folk, including the Green Party and Te Party Maori, just want to just loot and loot and loot and spend money for no achievable outcomes. Marima Davidson said on Breakfast TV this morning when they asked her, well, what about capital flight? You put in this wealth tax and you tax people with trusts and then isn't that money just going to move offshore? And she said, well, if you take Europe, where they're very close to other countries, people can move around a bit. But we're too far away for that capital to fly out of New Zealand. So they won't do it. Okay. (laughs) Sure. See, that's the thing. It's this fanciful thing. But I think we need to get away, though, from the left-right description because I think what we're seeing in the electorate, and we're going to start seeing it in the polls that come out this week, we're going to see that there's a difference between globalism, which is what the majority of the parties that are in the parliament represent now, and nationalism. And there's only one party that represents nationalism at the moment. And coincidentally, they're going up in the polls while everyone else is going down. And I think Kiwi voters are filthy and angry 
that they haven't been consulted on some huge things. Undrip for a, for a start, co-governance, that's a result of John Key stupidly signing us up for that. And everything else that's been promulgated by the WHO or is being mouthed by WEF mouthpieces. People are over it. They're not being consulted. I, I'll, give you an, I'll give you a classic example. I was out in Manukau today going to my usual lunch with Cam's buddies. And I'm driving along, and I said, what the hell's happened here to the road? Well, in the last week, they've put this uh, uh, cycleway. Oh, don't get me started. Here we go. <laughs> so- with these concrete berms that's been installed in the last week. I've never seen a cyclist on that road ever, that's and the I thing. go there every week. That's the and common that's- factor. No one's on them. But that's the thing. That's the sort of thing that we've been told. We must walk. We have to cycle. We're going to build cycleways. We're not going to actually fix our roads. We're going to raid and loot the the road transport fund. We're not going to spend anything on potholes. And then five years later, why are we surprised there's more holes than road? These people just loot and loot and loot, and we've had enough, and people are fed up with it. It's all these agendas, isn't it? All the agendas are, have been driving what's happened over the last, you know, three to six years. Yes. You know, whether it's the, the co-governance agenda, whether it's that green agenda, you know, and ordinary Kiwis don't even get a look in for goodness sake. So I want to do my, I want to do one last, I want to do one last point on climate change. We, we emit 0.17 of a percent of the total greenhouse gases on the planet. If we had a big glass tube above New Zealand and we only had our atmosphere, I think we should be doing things really to worry about. But we are—we could sink into the ocean tomorrow and be gone altogether and make not one jot of difference to climate change because it's going to be driven out of Asia, both China and India and their growth for prosperity, and Latin America for the same reason. But we want to die on the altar of purity for point one seven. And I heard the Greens say the other day, if we got our policy in, we would solve climate change. Hmm. But it's bollocks. Excuse me. Yeah, I heard Christopher Luxon explaining why he agrees with all of that when he said, "Oh well, you know, because our our um, our customers around the world are demanding it." And I just call bullshit on that because we all everyone goes to the warehouse to buy the Chinese stuff that's cheap, right? The Chinese yeah. sell stuff all around the world, no trouble at all, because it's cheap. Yeah. And and he's trying to tell us that we have to sell things that are more expensive and better quality, um, but we also have to make them even more expensive again to save the climate. It's bollocks. Yeah. Good luck with that. Look, we're up against time. I want to thank Muriel Newman. Morris Williamson, and Cam Slater for joining our pop-up panel. Thanks, guys, for coming on. A pleasure. welcome. Thank you. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.